WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Catskill Revitalization Corporation, home of the Delaware and Ulster Railroad, based in Arkville, and the Catskill Scenic Trail for hiking and biking along the old rail bed from Roxbury to Bloomville. The Delaware and Ulster Railroad Tourism Train is scheduled to return this summer for rides in an open car or coach with food and beverage aboard the vintage Silver Rose Dining Car. Dates and details at the Delaware and Ulster Railroad Facebook page or at durr.org. Peek-a-Moose Restaurant on State Route 28 in Big Indian with farm-to-table cuisine Thursday through Monday. Indoor dining from 4 to 9 p.m. Take out till 10. Peekamoose.com or 845-254-6500. 845-254-6500. The Slider Agency on Main Street in Margaretville. A neighborhood independent insurance agency educating consumers about safe driving and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 8.30 till 5. More information at 845-586-2641 or slideragency.com. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, Contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org. Good evening. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones.
and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about, about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we got, it's the third Wednesday, so every third Wednesday of the month, we bring on Mr. Gary Mead, local here in Margaretville, New York, New Kingston region of New York State, Catskill Mountains, and he talks about a different tree species. So here we yeah, are. Yeah, that and uh, logging and... Or whatever. Whatever. Yeah, it's just a whatever show. Okay. And we also have uh, a regular voice on, Zane Lawyer. Hey, how you doing? How's it going, Zane? Oh, pretty good. What have you been up to? Well, I'm on uh, my sixth week of uh, uh, maple sugaring. Oh, yeah? I might go another week. I might go another two weeks. I just want to go to the end and, and see what happens. I've never done it before, so the weather is weather's looking good. Yeah. Um, and you're a backyarder. You could even, honestly, you could start a whole new season right now if you really wanted to keep going and just tap new trees. What do you got, six, eight taps? I got ten taps going. If you got ten more trees, you can pull all those buckets right now and retap ten new trees and have a whole other season. Yeah, they seem to be running good, um, but uh, they haven't slowed down yet. Yeah, you might not get six weeks. It's, it'll probably warm up in April, but the next, the long-term forecast and the two-week forecast looks perfect. Yeah, yeah I heard third, uh, second week in april is supposed to be kind of like this so yeah and uh well, i mean april is when it ends anyway right it's awesome the, the, this sap season it, last year was a bust and you know this year was i mean it just keeps going the weather's perfect and the snow is perfect <laughs> yeah putting a lot of a lot of moisture in the, the roots so they're they're drinking the really gr- ground really never froze. No, not uh, d- not deep anyway. No, not up in actually up high. We pretty much had, you know, light snow cover up, but it only takes an inch or two of snow to keep the frost from getting in. Mm-hmm. Don't take a whole lot of that. But I mean, these snows that we've had recently, it starts out with rain, and then I mean, it, it's wet on the ground. So you know, as soon as the sun comes out, stuff starts running mm-hmm. off the mountain like a like a river what doesn't get uh you know drank by the trees because the trees they i mean look at all the life out there and they drink a lot of water yeah that's why the streams get so low in july and august right yeah that's for sure and that's uh just uh well there's a few reasons for that but just gives the landscape a chance to kind of dry out and and it never really hurts anything, and it's good for spawning. I mean, when the fish are spawning, it you know uh, we always get those you know we get that dry spell, and and then you get a you know a heavy rain, and all the spawners come up. And I always like that time of year in New Kingston because you know coming up out of the reservoir, even in in the bigger streams, uh, they come up into these little tributaries to to spawn and. And they get stuck there for a couple of weeks. And, you know, they're really not good to catch and eat, but it's so awesome seeing, like, a 20, 25-inch trout in this tiny little pool. I know. <laughs> I know. I've seen a few of those fishing. And as soon as it rains again, they're gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's nature's amazing. They send them up here so that, you know, if they laid their eggs down, you know, where a lot of fish, they, you know, the they'd get eaten so they go in the the smaller streams where there's not a lot of you know hungry mouths to feed and and uh carry on and 
then you know they lay their eggs and then leave but for the most part they always get stuck there for a week or so but anyway we're talking about hickory tonight yep hickory trees ryan called me after the last show and wondered what to talk about and i'm always trying to think of something and i'm uh, <clears throat> i'm building a new kingston and i'm putting the, i'm gonna make a spiral staircase going from the first to the second floor and Two years ago, Karen Archibald called me and said, oh, you know, up on Cemetery Road in Margaretville, there's a, uh, she has some property in a hickory, a hollow hickory tree fell down. And, I mean, the bottom of it, it's like the roots, I don't know why, but they rotted off in the ground, and and I don't know whether wind took it down or it just become weak and it was lean and fell. But anyway, the, the base of it is perfect. Or, you know, a base. It looks like a flower when you look at the end of it. So I, I, uh, I don't know. I've, I've been building a new Kingston, and you know, she offered this to me two, about two years ago. And I woke up last week, and first thing in the morning, I go, "Damn, I hope that hickory log's still there," because you know, I was thinking about doing this spiral staircase, and I was thinking of what to use for a log. And I said, that would be perfect. It's 16 to 18 inches in diameter. It's, you know, probably about 10 inches hollow in the middle. Uh, so, you know, once you make it lighter and you don't need the, you know, you don't, a, a solid uh, log would be a lot harder to, to cut through. And because, uh, you know, I'm making my, my, all the treads out of uh, probably 10 quarter. There'll be about two two and a quarter inches thick each tread and you know I'm going to braid up some grapevine for the handle and and you know because somebody was saying oh you know I got three inch grapevine well you, it, three inch grapevine doesn't bend very good you know not like the you know in the spring you know I use a lot of grapevine in, in the pieces I make and in the spring when you harvest them you can tie them in a knot but the bigger diameter ones, they don't bend easy. They and then they start, they split. So I was thinking of, uh, you know, I need a, you know, the handrail. I'm gonna have to have something an inch, inch and a half in diameter, you know, something good to hold on to. And you know, I know how to braid, and I figured in the spring I could harvest a bunch and just braid it up. And you don't need long lengths because you can just, like, you, know, you know, when you're putting wool together and that, there's a bunch of you know, you just kind of, you know, uh, end one, start another one, and and go all the way up with that. But, you know, the hickory's got me excited, and I said, well, you know, I'm working on, you know, uh, the, you know, this hickory log, and I figured that maybe we could talk about hickory. So what and what hickory was it? It's a pig nut. It was a pig nut hickory. Yep. And uh, you don't see as many of those. No. Nope. Not in the Catskill region. Nope. So, uh, and I, it's, well, I figured probably, I mean, it fell down, the the actually top was in the road, and they cut that back, and there's probably about 30, 35 foot left there, and that's a lot more than I need for what, for what I'm doing, but, you know, we got to go up and get it, get it to the mill, and I'll start working on it, but there's a, you know, it's, I love Cambrian look, and, and, you know, hickory, it's it just, it's got me excited. 
and I just want to, you know, get time to work on it, which is almost impossible these days. But uh, I know this time of year you blink and all of a sudden it's July. Yep. The spring just, I don't yeah, know I've, what happens to it, but I can never remember a single one of them. They just fly by. Yeah, well, that happened to me last fall. I thought I had all winter to get all this stuff done, and, you know, I mostly I'm trying to sell inventory at my mill, and I'm on, on a computer and on all these sites, and I'm on Etsy now, and hell, none of them ever panned out to be too too much. I And the only thing I really think I might do is get some contacts and drive right to their place of business with some samples and, and show it to them and, and see if that'll work out. But, you know, I just want to work on my house. I wish I could find somebody. That, if there's anybody out there that wants to help me sell stuff, geez, I'll give you a real good commission. And, you know, I sit on the computer. It took me, I think, 12, 13 hours to get on Etsy, working a little at a time and you know, I was about, I don't know, six weeks ago, I launched my store, and I sold four books. <laughs> and that's it. I, I mean, uh, but it, it was like none of the pieces, the big pieces in the gallery s- sold. I just, uh, I, I, I was hoping, I was thought for sure one of those, somebody out there would, would want one of those, but. Yeah, I mean, it's, your type of work, Gary, it's, I mean, a picture just doesn't do it the justice it deserves, so you got to get someone looking at it, and yeah, and to get enough people through there to be able to, it's not, you can't compare to the whole world, like the internet, so you got to, you know, all these no, pros and, and cons. You know, there's, it's all, you know, original, and, and they're just one of a kind, there's, um, it's, they're really unique to, uh, to have and well that's just I hear that comment all the time when people come to the gallery you know they went to my website and they said hey website beautiful but this is like that's when you, when you actually get there it's like stunning and yeah that's, that's how I felt the first know, time I, I saw it they feel the stuff and they go how do you get it this smooth and I said uh, it just uh, you know I've been doing it for well, at that point 40 some years and you know, back early on, I learned how to put a finish on, and it's uh, even with the the when I first started working, I can't even get the, the finishes that I used to use, and and I mean they just they took them off the market, and it seems like every ten years or so, I'm reinventing a finish and kind of a recipe to to make it work, but it's uh, gets tough out there. And for years, I used a Minwax sanding sealer, and you know, went from twenty-five dollars a gallon to fifty dollars a quart because they just don't want you to buy it anymore. <laughs> so they discontinued it. But that's only in New York. Uh, out of state, it stills reasonably priced, and but to have it shipped in, there you go. I mean, they charge just uh, thirty-five dollars a gallon to ship stuff here. It ain't like the old days, I gotta tell you. <clears throat> well, what do you got for hickory in your in your gallery? I have uh, hickory and a higher power, and you know, hickory the wood is not only uh, stellar; it, it's uh, 
the bark is it's amazing because this hickory table uh, actually the the wood has ingrown bark and bird's eye in it and uh, I used uh, elm and cherry for the crossers on the bottom uh, and the top that attaches underneath the table and but I set them into hickory bark. Now when I was harvesting bark, tulip bark from my house and, and uh, peeling it and drying it, Paul Crickon was logging up in Wolf Hollow and he called me one night and he said, you know, he heard I was harvesting bark. So he said, you know, I, they had a bunch of hickory up there and uh, I went up to look at it and I said, Paul, I'm not using hickory, but I'll come up and look and see what you got. So, I mean, this was in, well, it was a little later than this. I think it was like the middle of April, middle end of April. And he said, we're skidding them out. And he said, the, the bark, I mean, the logs slide right out of the bark. So I went up there and I got, I, I cut cylinders that were about 36 to 40 inches long. And, you know, we just scored the, the logs up there on the, you know, the deck and with the chainsaw and, and then took my bark spuds and I peeled them off. And so I put them on pallets and I must have spent 10, 15 hours. I had two pickup truck loads. They were standing, a six-foot box, but they were standing vertical in the truck and all packed in. And, and I went, I, I had so much, I went and got two loads and... So at night after work, I, I was putting boards inside, and and what I my original idea I wanted to dry these and have them a cylinder, you know, and, and uh, but during the kiln drying process, movement and whatever, and the boards fell out, and and when it was all said and done, I went in and and well, I saw it all happening while it was drying. I said, well, screw it, I'll see what I can get out of them, but. <clears throat> They ended up curling. They look if you look at the end of a pretzel, a rolled gold pretzel. That's what they ended up doing. And uh, you know, there's was that bitter nut or pig nut? Hickory that was, that was. I think that was a bitter nut. Probably bitter nut. Yeah, there's there might have been some pig nut mixed in with it, but I know uh, the uh, what's his name there that investigates everything. What's Mike Kudish. Mike Kudish. He was so excited to hear that there were, you know, hickory up in Wolf Hollow, and he immediately went up to that mountain and, and started roaming around. That, well, yeah, when you said Wolf Hollow, I, I mean, I grew up two miles from there, three miles from there, and I would have never thought there's hickory up there. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I had this wood that was so special. It was bird's eye and ingrown bark, and I made this tabletop, and and uh, I said, son of a gun, you know what, I'm going to, because the, the bark, you could run over it with your truck, and it, it won't break it. It just, it's so, I keep a piece at the gallery, you know, right next to the hickory table to show people what the, you know, what the, the pedestals, because when they first look at them, it's bark, and you think there's wood inside them. And I said, no, that's just the bark of a tree, and this is it, and you can't pull it and bend it and you know hickory has uh they're like fiberglass strands in them uh 
that's the only way. I mean, they're they're very fibery, very and they're long. Uh, years ago, when I uh, I bought low grade and I got some hickory, it was probably about you know in the spring of the year, and there was some hickory mixed in. And I just bought low grade mixed hardwoods and. You know, I threw this log up on the debarker and, um, you know, in the control room and you know, running all the levers. And I put the, the, I mean, it's a 35 horse electric motor with carbide teeth that peel the bark off of these things. And I set it on the end. I start down. I didn't get three feet up the log. And, and all of a sudden, whoosh, I heard this noise and. The whole, the bark stripped, that was a 12-footer, I think, it stripped all the way down to the end and flat flipped, and then it, it actually got caught up into the pulley and the belts, and this stopped the machine. I'm like, the belts are smoking. I'm just finding that, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the off button. So I unwound it, and, and I said, damn, man, this stuff is something. But while I was pulling it out, that's when I realized... I mean, so I did investigate it a little, and the Indians, uh, they used it for sewing their moccasins and their tents and all that together. They used because they'd harvest hickory in the spring, and they'd use the, you know, the wood for smoking and fishing that, and and the bark. They'd peel those fibers out, and you know, it's just like thread, and it's it's quite strong, and uh, so that's kind of I think what makes it so strong because any other bark you peel off a tree I mean the tulip bark that I harvested I mean if you smack that on the edge of a you know take a three foot piece and hit it on a corner of something in the middle it will break but hickory it'll bounce you're, you're just the, the bark you, you can't break it cherry bark kind of falls apart oak is a little bit more has a little bit of fiber in it, but that still isn't, you know, uh, as strong as, the, like, the hickory is. And I dried a, I just finished a couple months ago drying a bunch of wood for a guy in Long Island. He sent some hickory up, and and when you put them in the kiln, and, you know, they come in, the bark's on, and the bark falls off everything, and, you know, it's kind of a really a nuisance because when I'm taking it off sticks, I keep barrels out there, and I just throw it, and I, I actually burn the bark or throw it out in the bark pile. In the wintertime, I burn everything. But anyway, uh, uh, there was this, you know, I mean, these are, I think, 10-foot boards, and, you know, the bark fell off. And in order to get them in the barrel, I just smack them on the edge of the barrel, and they break, and then they fit inside the 30-gallon you know, barrel I have there. So, and I I wasn't really thinking. I was just, you know, in production, got to get this done, blah, blah, bills to pay. And so I took a piece of it and I smacked it on the edge of the thing and I got a shock wave through my arm and I go, dummy, this is hickory. <laughs> going to break it. So I put some uh, risers down and I stacked them because they peeled off from one length, one end to the other. And I have these 10-foot, about two-and-a-half-inch wide pieces of hickory, you know, hickory bark. That I mean, they're all dry, and, you know, I taped them together, and I don't know what I'll ever use them for, but somewhere in my construction, I'll pull them out and, and, 
and use them for something somewhere. But, hmm. uh, the bark of hickory is it's a it's as strong as a wood. Now I and I've worked with hickory. I've, my son Matt and his wife and and uh, I made them a hickory table about oh, probably eight years ago. And the, my other kids, they like the live edge and the thicker. And you know, Aaron's more contemporary. And you know, uh, I started making tabletop out of red maple form and. She'd come down, uh, she didn't like that. So I finished that, and that's in the gallery. But uh, <clears throat> she loved the, the hickory. And so I made him a beautiful hickory table. And, and uh, it doesn't, I see on this paper here that says hickory isn't, uh, doesn't glue very easy. I was going to ask you. I, I yeah, I never had. I've a, never heard that. I never had a problem with it. And, you know, I know. Teak and you know black locust because of the the they actually pick up nutrients from the soil. That's what makes them last so long. Uh, those you have to use uh, before you put the glue on. You have to wear rubber gloves and all that. But you take an acetone and you put when you before you put the you lay them up on the the edge you're going to glue. Or actually, both edges, and you just take a rag and you you clean like the the oil off, and you know the oils will come back, but for the time while you're gluing, it pulls them off. But the only problem, uh, the only two, you know, species that I've ever had a, any kind of concern with when you're gluing was uh, you know black locust and and uh, and the teak. What makes a wood good for gluing and, and not? Is it just something at the at the the fibers? Something about uh, it holding the glue? Well, the it's there? The, the 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 makeup of it. I mean, oak, red oak especially is one of the easiest ones to glue because I mean it's all fluted and the glue. Right. I mean it goes right in and but uh, actually I've I glue everything when they're in the rough and then I plane them after they're glued. You know, a lot of these, uh, you know, people work in their garages. They come in and they they buy wood from me, and they want it plain. I said, are you sure you want it plain? I mean, you know, you might want to, oh, yeah, yeah. And that, but you can't. I mean, when you're doing an 8-foot-long table or even a 6-foot, and you already have it planed, and, and you're gluing, you know, five or six boards up, it's quite painful to line that seam up so you don't have any waves and then mm. another thing too when they put the clamps on if you don't clamp it proper uh, I mean I uh, dried some ash for a guy last fall and he made a table this this winter and you know for his house and he planed the boards and then you know they have this little planer I said well because he bought, I don't know, it's about 1,800 board foot. He brought me these huge ash logs, and I saw them. He's, it was special to him on the property his grandparents were, lived in. But anyway, he has a bunch of them. He made this table, and he said, but it's humped up in the middle. And I said, well, that's because, you know, he was showing me pictures of the process, and I said, well, I could tell you right now why it's humped up in the middle. You didn't use enough clamps. 
and at my glue table, I have a box full of wedges. And uh, you don't want, because the clamps are metal, especially on a finished piece. It isn't so much with, a, with a, something that's uh, rough because you're going to plane it. But I, I, if I have a table that's, you know, 40 inches wide, I've got to make two 20-inch panels and then, you know, do the last seam on the table. So, uh, you know, if you put a, you know, your, your metal clamp hits the wood while it's drying, it's going to leave a, it's going to stain it. It's going to oxidize and leave it, and you won't get that out. <laughs> I don't care. You could, well, maybe a quarter inch if you're playing that, it might disappear. But So I keep these wooden wedges that, you know, on the top one, it doesn't matter so much if it happens on the bottom because nobody sees it, but on the top you got to, but, and when you, uh, put it in the clamps, you want to look down the edge of that when the clamps are all on, and if it has a hump in it, when it dries, it's going to have a hump in it. So that's what the wedges are for, too, is to push that down flat and, and to keep it. But, you know, he, I think he made a six-foot table. He only had four clamps on it, two on top and two on the bottom. I put them about 10 inches apart. You know, actually far maybe even a little closer, but, you know, you, you, you have to have equal pressure on it and, and on the bottom and, and the top. And as you, and I always go from the middle. And I go from the middle. The middle is the hardest to get. Once you get that, then your ends, you know, I, I'll start at the middle, maybe go left, get down, and then I'll go to the right. Because I found out when you start at one end, try to go down, all the way down it's just it's and you're once you put the glue on and you know time's ticking <laughs> it's you don't have a lot of time to mess around <laughs> and, and uh, a bad glue join is like it's horrible when you get done because they open up and and uh but you know so the, there's a hump in the middle of the table is that because there's just like a air pocket there a very small one it wasn't no when they down? put the pressure on it they didn't Keep it flat. Mm. I mean, the, the wood, yeah. the wood just. Uh, and these bar clamps saying that they can bow with a lot of pressure, and that wood will bow with it. So you can put clamps on the top and the bottom, so there's pressure going up and down. That'll help. Well, you but, have. To. But well, some people don't know that. Yeah. But if you put them on just the top, you know, I mean, that thing might. Well, when he showed me the pictures, he he had two on the bottom, two on top, but should add four on the bottom and four on top and he wouldn't have had to work mm. but you know once you put the pressure on if there's any space i mean the wood's gonna it's gonna go up and once i mean uh, what it does it compresses one seam's not even with the other it'll kind of compress the bottom seam a little more than the top and that you know makes it bow and once the glue dries that's all she wrote i mean but you can put cleats underneath, and that's what I told him. I said, I, I said this is a design that works for me. You know, uh, we can. You just put boards going the opposite direction, and I call them cleats. And you know, I use a five-quarter board about two, two and a half inches wide, and you put them about every ten or twelve inches apart underneath. Well, from one side to the other, <clears throat> but you know that application is tricky too because you can't leave the 
you have to allow when you put that board on, you can't glue it to it. Uh, that won't work, but yeah, you finish that piece, you finish the bottom, but you over drill the holes uh, so that when it expands and contracts, there's very little movement in the middle. On the outside is the, where the most movement is on a, like a 30 inch wide piece. The middle doesn't move. So anyway, you, you over drill, make it, you know, your diameter. So when the table expands and contracts, shrinks and expands. In the summer, everything expands. And in the winter, when the heat's on, they shrink. That screw has to be able to move with the wood. And that, because the first time I did that, I, I made these six-foot round. Uh, actually, they were hickory and ash tables. And uh, I put these white oak cleats underneath, <coughs> thinking that would be beautiful. And then uh, this, I made these in the fall, and that's, and it was kind of weird because the ash didn't do it, but the, but I made the holes tight and put the screws in tight. And and in the spring, uh, actually it was midsummer because over the winter they shrunk and then they expanded. And because it was super dry when I gave it to them, and during the summer they expanded, it, it broke those sheet rock screws right off. And, mm. and you know these things are hanging. So I took all the tables back. I made thirty-five of these things. I took them all back, and I took all the cleats off the bottom, and I over-drilled them and put them back on, and never a problem after that. But you know that's how you learn uh, is by making mistakes. Some of, uh, some of the most amazing stuff I've done is was from a mistake. Because when you make a mistake, first you're, you're upset, you know, and you maybe get a hot flash or two, and, and, and then you say, calm down, you know, let's see what we can do with this. And it, it, it's like a spiritual movement that says when you... Some of the stuff, like I say, it, it comes out so much better than it would have been if I didn't make that mistake. And it's original. I mean, you, you put something, you know, the quickest, I made a picture frame. Uh, it was actually a hickory picture frame. And my son did a, a picture of uh, our house in Arkville in high school. And I had a hickory board there. I made a frame up, and you know, I was in a big hurry. And... So I took the router, and I had it all glued together, and I was ready to you know, put the detail on it, and I, I put the router in the back to, to plunge out for you know, the picture and the backing. And I start in the corner. I always start in the corner. So I throw the router in. I went into the corner. It was the front. <laughs> I go, oh, God, here we go. So anyway... I've turned it over and I did the back. I said I I got about you know two and a half hours. Of this. I'm not throwing it out. So while I was doing the back. I was thinking, what the hell could I do with that? What could I do with that? So I when I turned it over and I had everything the back done, I did the same exact thing in all four corners, and I took a a, a piece of cherry that looked like a teardrop, and I glued it in all four corners. Mm -hmm. And holy smoke, how special it made that frame. <laughs> there <laughs> and you that go. was from a mistake. Yep. And uh, we don't call them mistakes. We call them happy accidents. <laughs> yeah. So.
Yeah, I've got a beautiful cherry bow tie and a uh, ash door at my house because of a mistake. Yeah, but I don't let anybody know, and everybody knows. But yeah. everybody, I don't let anybody know what I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's it it really makes it that red inside that white. that white cherry oh. or white ash. Man, that looks good. I bet it does. Yeah. This is from the forest. Every Wednesday, six to seven p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we're talking hickory with Gary Mead and this and that. We'll be back. to WIOX Community Radio 91.3 FM. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. We talk about a different forest-related topic. And tonight, John and Zane have Gary Mead on talking about hickory. So, so, Gary, tell us about hickory logs and sawing and milling and all these troubles you might have. Well, uh, there's different issues with hickory. Debarking is one of them. Yeah, but once you, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't think I told that on the air yet, did I? Yeah, you did. Yep. Oh, okay. So anyway, that stopped my machine. So now you're kicking it. Because after that, what I did is I, uh, with my debarker, I go down about every three foot, cut a slot in it, and then I go back to the end and clean it off. So you know, once the bark's off, it goes into the mill and up to the mill. And, and uh, But hickory has a... It's like a it, it likes to end check like ash, and it's quite some of the logs are you know when you're sawing them, they come off like a bow i mean they they just you can see the tension in them as you're sawing them and uh, uh I found out the uh so I would slow the saw down and it made it worse so when you're sawing hickory, you want to saw it just as fast as your mill will let you saw it because uh, it, it kind of gets, I call it, cranky. Yeah, but very not, cranky. Not all hickory does that, and it's very fibery when it's wet, and it's really, I mean, that's why they use it for bending. Uh, it's a little more brittle, but not much when it's dry. And it's uh, when, you know, when you're sawing and, and getting in these boards and, what I did with hickory when I put it in the kiln, uh, I'd say one out of every 20, 25 trees bow on you like that. The rest of them, just like maple and all the rest of the woods. Well, ash is another one that bows quite frequent. Uh, but uh, anyway, you get them, and I always put them, uh, I always put the hickory in, and like ash and I'm sawing ash and I would put it on the bottom of the maple and, and whatever else I was putting in the kiln and just to keep the weight on it because once you bent it back down where it belonged and it dried it would stay that way I mean uh, if you have a you know I've had people that uh, you know that wood comes in warped and they want it dried and I said well go to your house throw it in your river for you know, about a week or two, and then bring it back. And I said, I'll dry it, and it'll be flat. And But that's what you do. You you, you get the soft, what it does, it softens up the fibers. And we're actually, you know, right out of a log, they're already soft. And, and hickory has a lot of, I mean, planing hickory when it was uh, uh, green, because we were made a green product in, at the mill, too. And that would peel off. I mean, it just—it it doesn't plain good green at all. I mean, no matter how sharp your knives are, I mean, it chunks out, and and you know, pieces of it just pick up, and and you know, you know, like two foot strip will come off, you know, come out the end of the planer, and you go, ah, where'd that piece of wood go? Well, it went through the blower, <laughs> but. <laughs> It, it peels, but when it's dry, I never seen that happen when it was dry. It, it planes nice, it's flat, it's not that hard to work, and it's not hard to dry, but you gotta like, have it in the middle or the bottom of a pack. Uh, any wood, I mean, there's some woods you can get away with, like cherry and soft maple, having on the top of a bundle in the kiln. Well, I stack bundles three high, so there's only you know, only the top row has has uh, 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 you know uh, that doesn't have weight on it, 
And I always made sure that, you know, the maple and, and, and uh, stuff that weren't going to get cranky when it was drying because it needs to be held in place. And, uh, you know, each bundle weighs about a ton, so, you know, the, the bottom bundle has a two-ton of weight on it, and the second one has a ton of weight on it. Uh, but, you know, I, was, I, I never, well, I, in the beginning I did, but, you know, I'd have a hickory or ash on top, and they come out twisted and, and all cranked up. So I just switched the packs around and make sure they were on the bottom. And, but it does work nice. It, uh, you can't route hickory when it's green. Uh, they had a, a problem with it at the, when I, I made dolly boards, and when we sent them hickory, it would uh, green because they made a, a, a kiln-dried product and a, and a, uh, a green product. And uh, so what I do is I, I had to stop sending them green hickory, and I put that into the kiln-dried product because it was doing the same thing to their shapers at, at their, where they were putting the dollies together, you know, wrapping up around the cutter head and uh, just peeling off, you know, long fibers and and that but when it's dry it doesn't it doesn't do that and it's not hard in the you know it doesn't dull the planer down the only two species i ever had a real big problem with on the planer is is uh black locust and and teak because i i did run a little teak here and there once in a while but you know i can probably put through the planer you know, 10,000 board feet of, you know, red and white oak, hard and soft maple, ash and beech and birch, and and all those species, about 10,000 board foot. But when I run black locust, it's about 1,000, 1,200 feet, and i got to stop and sharpen. And I never, I don't think I ever ran that much teak at one time, but I knew... You know, if I run a couple of hundred board feet of teak, you have race. You can see where it leaves little uh, races in your knives. And, you know, you really don't want those. Uh, but actually, they, when green lumber, if you have races in it, it, it won't peel up so much. For some reason, it, it's, it's like the cutter, those races actually divide the grain a little bit better so it doesn't like peel up so much i sent a couple nail heads through your cutter first and then... <laughs> <laughs> right. well no just uh, uh nothing like that the hardest thing i ever hit with my planer and you know this was one of the guys ran through was a, 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 a sheetrock screw <laughs> and i have a four-bladed planer and it took a chunk out the actually the, the the blade it hit first took a big chunk out and the other three you know every blade is a little bit less but anyway it's uh and the, there was actually a it was all the way through the board and i don't know how they missed it but on the bottom the head of the screw was on the bottom and when it went through the planer it left a groove in the bed i mean it's it's you know it's not tempered steel, the bed, but it's, uh, I couldn't believe it left it and what it did to my cutter. So instead of buying all new knives, we marked the planer, and I think it was probably about four or five months 
and that's back when we were in production. Uh, I just marked where that was, and they avoided that that mm. one little part. And then every time I sharpened it, it gets smaller and smaller, and finally it disappeared. Mm -hmm. But uh, it took about four or five months. But that's back when I used to sharpen the planer probably at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. And uh, yeah. How do you sharpen your planer? It has a sharpener right on the Oh, it does. Right on the top, yeah. That's nice. In the old days when I first started, we used to have to send the knives out and resetting those things and getting them exact is really painful. And if you have, you could be a hundred thousandths off, and, and it just, it's really, you know, you got, it takes so damn long. And, you know, I can shut my planer off and grease it and sharpen it in about an hour have you know it's completely ready to go again and every and because of the sharpeners on top every and they have a it's a same stop station for every knife and it cuts everything i mean they're all exact you yeah. don't even have to measure them the only thing i use the gauge for is when i raise them up and uh you know, i used to go through a set of inch and a half knives about once a year and I don't, I don't go that, uh, I don't use it that much anymore. I sharpen it. I just sharpen every once in a while just to sharpen it. Because <laughs> I don't run a whole lot these days. But I like hickory. I like the way it bends. I, I use quite a bit in, uh, uh, in uh, some of the, the dollies that we made, I would, because hickory didn't seem to be graded as tight as like cherry and and maples and especially hard and the oaks. So you get a lot of, you know, pretty decent stuff in with the hickory. The worst low-grade product I ever bought was cherry because they, they grade cherry tight, very, very tight. You know, two and three common in cherries, like palette grade, really, it's not, there's very, very little, you can get short pieces out of it. But the hickory, you know, I'd get lots of it once in a while where, you know, these mills would send it in, and it seemed to be like, eh, maybe they had 500 feet, and they're selling truckloads of it, and eh, it's just overrun, <laughs> send it down to Gary's. But geez, I was like, I felt like so lucky when I when I had that. But I saved quite a bit of it, and uh, you know what you, you steam. And I made a uh, a tube, like what uh, plumbers and stuff had them on top of their vans and stuff. It's that heavy schedule forty tubing with both ends, and I'll put water in there, and I'll put my long pieces in there, and just leave it in the kiln, you know, for one whole charge or schedule you know two to three weeks and you know it gets up to 160 degrees when you take that out you can pretty much bend that any way you want <laughs> but you, you can't wait long and uh you got to kind of plan it when it, it's got to be hot and it's got to be super wet and if you you know because one time i took it out and you know i i set the uh pieces i was going to bend in the shop and it was late and i said well i'll come back in the morning and and uh nope they were too dry by morning to to bend and they started you know it wasn't the 
the center was still hydrated, but when you bend it and the outside dried, the the underside would get like uh, you know wrinkled, and the top would flake away. So the the grain would actually break. But when you put it in, uh, you know, when it's totally wet, everything just seems to, you know, stay uh, really nice and smooth, and and you can pretty put a pretty tight bend on a hickory. What would you bend it for? What kind of project? All table bases and wrapping it around uh, uh, the bottom of a of a of a like a trunk. Uh, there's uh, some of the table bases. I just put a slight bend going from, you know, the leg up to, you know, halfway down the table. Mm-hmm. Just because a, a bent, a dried bent piece is stronger than a, a straight piece. And once it's, uh, they use hickory for a lot of handles. Mm-hmm. And I always save all, all old broom handles. Well, most of them are made out of metal now, but they used to make, all the brooms and stuff, everything was wood. And uh, I saved them for years, and I have a bunch of them I still save, but most of them were hickory. There were some, there were some ash. And, uh, you know, I just finished uh, uh, that bed I just finished uh, last fall in the, in, in the, in the gallery. That, uh, that was an old broom handle, and that's... Uh, I mean, uh, the four pins that hold that whole bed together are made out of, you know, hick, an old broom handle. <laughs> and, but it's, especially the old hickory seems to be just as, it doesn't break down over time. It doesn't get weaker. Uh, yeah, it's it, famous for, like, I don't, high impact. It doesn't last good outdoors. The bark doesn't, because I had a few leftover pieces that I, put outside and I thought they'd last after they come out of the kiln and you know six months later I went to you know check them and they bugs got in them and, and they started breaking down real quick so you know what I so I I uh but you know tulip bark lasts a long time outdoors but hickory not so much and the the, the wood doesn't as hard as it is, you'd think it would last, but, you know, it, it doesn't last uh, very well outside. Uh, you know, cherry will last longer than hickory outdoors. Gary, we only got about two and a half minutes left. Did you want to read a poem before we're done? Sure. Let's do it. Well, I wrote this last year, 4122. It's called Snowy Day Lady. Mid-January, window looking out, longing for winter thaw, daylight short, nights long. February rolls on through, and March blows into view. Up and down temps go, very warm to very cold. Sap flowing in trees, syrup houses pouring steam. Longer daylight hours, warm gentle winds, warmth waking spring. Winter, one eye open, sleepy, suddenly with vengeance waking. Bitter cold moves on in, furnaces fire up again. This is nature's happy dance. Sap snow arriving, wet snow clings to everything. Unhappy faces longing, warmer days ahead. 
sap snow taking over, coating the landscape, shielding. Poor man's fertilizer, nitrogen, nitrogen feeding, and the landscape now breathing. In the ring go winter and spring, three or four times a season, knocking out winter again and charge against spring. Heart's light, feeling free, Mother Earth wakes sleeping, many different spirits. Rejoice change in season, spring snows, falling March and April. Sun rising east, setting west, spring waking summer, blooming into autumn, back around to winter again. Snowy day, lady, and spring, another trip around the sun. So it's very important to, uh, to embrace these sap snows we get because <clears throat> this is setting up our summer, and so far we're going to have an awesome growing season. I hope so. I got a lot of trees I'm going to put in the ground this year. And I, uh, yeah, I look forward, and but you know it can always change. And well, that's that's uh, that's the thing about the weather. But Gary, that's all the time we got. Thank you for coming on another Wednesday, Peace, third Wednesday. Yeah, and you, I'll see you next month, and we'll talk about something else. That's right. If you missed the show, we <laughs> talked about Hickory with Gary Mead. This was From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. We talk about a different forest-related topic. And on WIOX 91.3 FM, good night, everyone. Good night. From the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street a dozen faces stopped to stare but no one stopped to speak for his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend and the old man stumbled in from the forest up a dark and dingy staircase the old man made his way Ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear Upon his mantle shining the face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom in the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games In an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town Where the river runs down from the forest With a mighty roar soars above the canyon streets and the con men con but life goes on for the city never sleeps and to an old forgotten soul 